0: so I invite you just to sit back and enjoy the this incredibly wonderful myth about God being at the beginning and God's Creative and benevolent energy infusing things with goodness. And don't be misled. Myths are really powerful. Listen. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so, and God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, a third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights. The great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. May God bless the reading and the hearing of those words.
1: British Premier League football fans have a common phrase that they banter about at the end of the British football season. It's the hope that kills you. (laughs) I don't know that phrase because I'm a fan of British football. I know that phrase because I'm a fan of Apple TV and Ted Lasso, a show loosely about an English football team, its fans and their unlikely American coach. But what this wonderful phrase from the world of British Premier League football communicates is that the most dedicated fans have to monitor their enthusiasm and expectations for their team when the stakes are high at the end of the season. Because if they raise their expectations and hopes too much and the team fails, the blow is that much more crushing. And no, I'm not a Cincinnati Bengals fan. (laughs) But it's that kind of hope that's torturing me a bit right now with the pandemic. I'm watching COVID cases decline precipitously each week, and I've seen that those who get the current strain of COVID who are vaccinated seem to endure mostly a mild form of the illness. Could we go back to a way life was before February 2020? Heck, could we even go back to a way life was last summer? but it's the hope that kills you. And it's the media that kills you, not only in the constant play-by-play in the COVID culture war, but now with the constant barrage of articles with titles like The New Normal, Moving On From Here, and How Life Resumes. It's so easy to get caught in the swirl of forced optimism and then suddenly long for all that we lost in two years of fear and disconnection. It's the hope that kills you. At times like these, when I get lost in my own web of uncertainty and tortured hope, I go back to the beginning of hope. Yes, Genesis. Literally, in the beginning. Because wherever this pandemic is going, whether we're on the verge of encountering a new phase or whether we're on the verge of an endemic illness that we just learned to live with, The only hope that doesn't kill you is the hope that from the very beginning for thousands of years, through many more pandemics than we can even imagine, humans have somehow managed to endure and progress. From the beginning, new creation has always come out of chaos. And as theologian Richard Rohr points out, from the beginning, every new hope has come from a cycle of order, disorder, and reorder. So in that brief portion of the Genesis narrative we just heard, let's go back to Genesis and find a little hope. The creation story of Genesis was one I often dismissed. It was clearly a story written thousands of years ago by authors who didn't have our scientific knowledge. It was one of many creation stories and myths that came out of the nomadic peoples of the Middle East around the same time. Even more, it contains multiple contradictions of itself as the story unfolds. And because I was challenged by its literal truth, it took academic study and seminary for me to see its beauty and its timeless relevance. Some of the most profound beauty in the Genesis story is about dark and light and the constant order of dark and light in the rhythm of creation. And all things that are created in the narrative darkness comes before light there was evening there was morning the first day there was evening there was morning the second day and so on and so on do note that the sun isn't actually created till the fourth day the primordial light sun actually precedes the sun the primordial light source actually precedes the sun and with each new creation on each new day it starts in darkness The entire narrative is one of darkness into light creation constant order constant disorder and reorder and the constant assurance of light after darkness so this narrative of light coming after darkness of creation coming out of chaos is the very first lesson we learn in the great narrative of scripture furthermore the story of darkness moving into light and new creation was repeated over and over again with the caveat, it was good. And it's put on every new creation in rhythmic sequence until the humans are created. And that was very good. So the Genesis narrative goes on for a few more days like this. So I stopped at day four in the interest of time, but you know the story. But I'm going to fast forward to the beginning of the second chapter, when God finally declares something not good. That's loneliness. After a full chapter of things being created that are good and very good, it is said, it is not good that a person should be alone. And that's one of the few places in the Genesis narrative that's actually backed up by modern-day science. God's biblical disapproval of loneliness has been proven over and over again to be a health risk. In 2017, Nearly two years before a strange virus appeared in the Wuhan wet market, former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who is now back again as Surgeon General, declared an epidemic of loneliness and named it one of the biggest public health challenges around. In a 2017 article in the Washington Post, he says, When you look at the data, what's really interesting is that loneliness has been found to be associated with a reduced lifespan. The reduction in lifespan for loneliness is similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and it has a greater impact on lifespan than obesity. So if you think about how much we put into curbing tobacco use and obesity compared to how much effort and resources we put into curbing loneliness, there's no comparison. Look even deeper, and you'll find loneliness associated with a greater risk of heart disease, depression, anxiety, and dementia. It's no surprise that all of this got worse with the pandemic. Dr. Murthy, who's now back at the helm as Surgeon General, has continued his crusade against loneliness in a paper he published last year. He says that early evidence suggests that the COVID-19 pandemic may have increased the prevalence of social isolation and loneliness. I'm sure you're all shocked. Um, According to the survey conducted in August 2020, 66% of adults and 75% of young adults aged 18 to 34 reported experiencing social social isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic. Often people experiencing social isolation also reported feeling frustrated, stressed, anxious, tired, or sad. Social isolation resulting from COVID-19 containment measures also led to longer-term challenges, such as mental health problems in children and adolescents. These were necessary public health measures, such as physical distancing, to reduce the spread of the virus, but they've really taken a toll. Murthy continues, as we emerge from this pandemic, and he's optimistic, clearly, we have an opportunity to build on these efforts and develop a national coordinated approach to addressing social isolation and loneliness. Last spring, as vaccines became widely available, and Delta was merely a house on frat row, not a deadly COVID variant, (laughs) the hope that kills you crept in again. There was a momentary hint that group socialization might become a reality again. People were hopeful, people were scared. There was a wonderful New Yorker cartoon, I don't know if any of you saw it, that captured the moment. It showed a well-dressed couple, maybe a couple in this community, At a door, holding a hostess gift, and about to ring a doorbell on a social occasion. And one one person says to the other, with a bubble caption, I'm ready to leave when you are. (laughs) Mocking just how awkward it was to socialize again after an extended period of social isolation. Similarly, a Saturday Night Live skit poked fun at a small group social gathering in a backyard that was ruined when all the people forgot how to socialize. So I'm an introvert. I really get these jokes. (laughs) And I know I have fellow introverts out there with me. But it doesn't mean that there isn't loneliness. Now as we seem to be emerging from the cloud of Omicron and the hope that kills you is rising again, I recently, recently reflected maskless and behind closed doors with a coworker, about going back to the days when we could walk the hallways of the hospital and meet in meeting rooms without a mask and enjoy those bad team lunches again could this actually happen <laughs> then the conversation turned to our own personal lonely moments of the pandemic for her a single woman it was spending thanksgiving and christmas away from her family For me, it was the moment that all my kids returned to the pandemic world and to the places we couldn't see them without working through school restrictions and facing our own health concerns. In October 2020, my house was suddenly quiet. From the beginning of the lockdown in March 2020, I had three of my children and two of their friends home from school for about eight weeks. And of course, they all thought they were going back in a month or two as we flattened the curve, so it was kind of like any day now, right? But as we know, that wasn't the case. The reality of the pandemic set in, summer came, and the two friends who were house guests went back to their families. By June, I was left with just three of my three children. September came, and two of them left for school. And finally, in the middle of October 2020, The one college graduate in the bunch decided that if winter 2021 lockdowns might be a reality, it would be much more fun to be locked down with her friends in New York City rather than with her parents in suburban Connecticut. Suddenly, I had no one to care for, and I'm not going to lie, my husband and I did enjoy a momentary reduction in the noise level and a dramatic reduction in the constant cycle of messes and meals that had been a rhythm for nearly six months, but it felt so strange. It wasn't just an empty nest. It was different. It was the hope that killed me. We weren't getting out of this anytime soon. I couldn't see anyone in person other than my husband, my co-workers, and my dog-walking neighbors without some careful planning. The holidays would have none of those stressful gatherings that were so Awkward on the surface, yet so enjoyable and predictable below the surface. There would be no school gatherings that followed the rhythm of a school year. None of the small talk that always plagued me. While I missed my kids, it was the thought that I couldn't see people if I wanted to that really got to me. It was clear that the world of how I related to people and how I worried about my family especially my elderly parents in the Midwest, had changed with no real hope or other options on the horizon. It was clear that the informal network of people that this introvert enjoyed through brief but predictable social engagement was gone for the foreseeable future. It not only felt lonely, but life projected lonely there wasn't an option not to be lonely. We all in some way crave human connection, but we ignore our best instincts on how to act on it. But now we couldn't even choose to act. It was then that I felt alone. And in that moment, I felt a touch of despair. Before I go on, I don't want to confuse loneliness with solitude. There is something truly wonderful about a walk in the woods, a nap in the mid-afternoon, or a few hours with a good book and no one to answer to. Put me at the top of that list. Lonely, however, is a feeling. People can feel lonely even if they have lots of social contact with others. What that means is that there's someone here today in this room that has plenty of people in it, but who's lonely. And as we try and live into this hope that kills us, and as we as a community try to recreate what our church community might be out of the chaos of this new creation, we can address the many ways people feel lonely through the many ways that we connect people in this building and out. And this great disconnection caused by the pandemic Our loneliness is multidimensional. The social structure of which this church is one of them that kept us coming together for some common good has been fractured. We want to make the fractures whole, but it's the hope that kills you. Yet in that hope, I believe there is love I do believe that for us, that for, many, for the many things that tear us apart, there's an undying desire to be together. And as Carter said last week, the all-inclusive love of God is the ground upon which we stand. And God's promise lands us in community because God sees the whole. Whether it's that timeless Genesis creation story or the story of 2022 that is still being written, we are part of a new creation and new life. And we, as individuals in a community, can work towards being made whole. In the words of poet and philosopher, Mark Nepo, my soul tells me we were all broken from the same nameless heart and every living thing wakes with the peace of that original heart aching its way into blossom. This is why we know each other below our strangeness. Why when we fall, we lift each other. Or when in pain, we hold each other. And why when we find joy, we dance. Life is the many pieces of that great heart loving itself back together. As we face the precipice of another new phase of the global COVID-19 disruption, the hope that kills us is creeping in again. Whatever that might be, it is our time to love each other back into wholeness. It is not good that we have felt alone. It is our time to face the chaos and waves of darkness that COVID has left and create once again and declare that creation to be good. Every new act of creation is good, but loneliness is not. Our joys are sweet and our challenges are just made more bearable when we have others along for the ride. We need each other. It is good. May it be so.